Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. This is part four of our series, How Does the Bible Work? And this one's called Genesis, How the Past Shapes the Present and How the Present Shapes the Past. Enjoy. We missed everybody. Uh, I was just talking with someone right before this gathering that so much of the magic of New Abbey is being in the room with one another. Uh, It's the magic of our diversity. It's the magic of our stories, that what we believe about our community is conversation. Uh, That in different traditions within faith traditions, particularly Christianity, it's about, uh, for Protestants, it's about the sermon and the giving of the word. And maybe for Catholics, it's about tradition and it's about uh, communion. Uh, For us, it's the belief that the word or the body of Christ or the word of God is not just the scriptures or songs or the tradition, but each and every one of us as human beings. We are the body of Christ. We are the living, breathing word of God. We are God's image moving in this world. And so the thing that I miss so much in our community is getting to see that energy in a room together. Uh, But one of the things that we always want to set up well is the conversation with each other. The music, the prayer, uh, sermons, uh, meeting a in person time, which one day we'll have working again. Uh, All of it is leading up to hearing from one another uh, that you need in a vulnerable way, somebody else's story. And maybe when you get onto that Zoom group, you're an extrovert and you've just been locked in your house all week and you've got 32,000 things to say, you know who you are. Uh, And maybe you're that introvert where you're like, man, I do not wanna get on a Zoom group. I don't wanna say anything. Uh, Well, maybe the opportunity is that you just get to go into a a group and you get to listen to somebody else's story and let that extrovert just have the time of their life. But maybe it will also inspire something in you, uh, that you have something to say about what's going on with you, that we need one another's stories. And I hope that you hear that every week at New Abbey. We need each other's narratives and lives. We need your vulnerability. We need your honesty. Um, And that's what we hope to cultivate and create with each other. So uh, what we do every week is that normally we would say split up with three or four people around you. We're going to go ahead and do that automatically for you into Zoom groups. Um, And you're going to answer this question with one another. What was a high and a low for you this week? Enjoy. Welcome back to Abby from your Zoom groups, wherever you are, like give yourself a high five, a high five, that's called a round of applause, just so you know. Yeah, do this, high five it, clap, smile, you feel better. If you're not doing it, let's do it again, you know, smile, yeah. That's like science right there, though. That actually works to make you feel better. I was laughing. Uh, I was talking to Paul because of the technical difficulties and stuff, and Paul's like, it's just the enemy trying to attack us. Remember those days? Like, everything went wrong, and you had that aunt, well, that's just the devil right there. Did you do your prayers this morning? Oh, man, my aunt has a Texas voice all of a sudden, so that's good. Uh, Where we're going this morning is we're talking about this big idea of what's your story? That what's your story is a question that should be driving your narrative. That what's your story is 
What's the story that you've been given since as long as you can remember? And what's the story that you're evolving into today? And we're doing this in a bigger conversation of how does the Bible work? And we're gonna be looking at Genesis one through three. And there's a reason that we've waited four weeks to get to Genesis one through three, because spoiler alert, Genesis one through three wasn't written before a lot of other stories in the Bible. It was written after the fact, which is confusing to modern people who have a historical idea of how a book is written, that the first stories go first and then the later stories go later, but that's not actually how the Bible was written. So we need to reinterpret and re-understand a bunch of different things if we're gonna ask this bigger question of what's your story. So to do that, we gotta talk about some things. We gotta talk about swimmer's ear because I just had it. Uh, and I still feel like I'm a little bit deaf because of it. Then we're gonna talk about polyphonic. Enjoy Googling that one. And if we can talk about polyphonic, then we can talk about the foundations that each of us have, and then the evolutions that we move into. Then we can talk about Babylon, and if we can talk about Babylon, then we can talk about the Enuma Elish, and everybody said, amen, what is that? We'll get to it, I promise you. Then if we can talk about the Enuma Elish, then we'll talk about the difference between Elohim and Yahweh. And if we can understand the difference between Elohim and Yahweh, then I think that we've all had that feeling of being distant. And if we can understand what it means to be distant, then I think the Dalai Lama has some words for us. And then what's my kid's story? And then we can do a little bit of pleading and bargaining to move forward with our lives. Sound good? Let's do this thing. I was in Michigan like a month ago. Uh, I swear I was saved. I feel like everyone has to say that when they travel right now. If you look at social media, like you go to the grocery store and you have to like make sure everybody knows. I've worn a mask. I've washed my hands five times. I'm not contributing to COVID. And I take that incredibly seriously and we did. And it was so nice to fly in a private jet, otherwise known as Southwest Airlines, uh, because there's only 15 people on the plane. Um, and when we were in Michigan, we spent a ton of time on a lake and in the water and just being in lake water. I noticed that throughout the week, uh, my hearing was just getting worse. And I already have bad hearing. I feel like I have the hearing of an 85-year-old man. Like, I'm the guy. I have a very difficult time distinguishing noises in noisy rooms. So, like, at a cocktail party, I'm that guy who's just smiling at you and nodding and just, just soaking up everything that you're saying. I haven't heard a word that you said, though. I am so deaf. I remember one time at my old church, we would, there was always this like line that we would have at the end of sermons, like classic, like where the pastor would stand in back and shake people's hands and hug you. And you know, they'd say like, good word today, pastor, things like that, which was super sweet. But one time this woman had come up to me and she's sharing this story with me and it was so noisy around me and I just couldn't hear anything. Um, and I'm like smiling and I give her a hug. And the person next to me is like, you know that she just said that like somebody died, right? I'm like, no. And I had to like run after her and just be like, I can't hear anything. I'm so, so sorry. Tell me that again. And so this is already what my hearing is normally. Like I'm in the shower and I'll just be yelling things to Crystal like, what? What'd you say? Uh, and she said nothing. So my hearing is already whacked in every way, shape or form. And so in this water in Michigan, I get this weird ear infection where it feels like it's going down like all the way down my jaw and down my throat. I can't hear anything that's going on. And so I do like tell a doctor and get all the like steroid drops and my ear feels better. But for like the last month, I still feel like someone just has two hands over my ears and that everything is muffled. But the gift in all of it is, it's really forced me to slow down. And I'm a killer Enneagram three. I love 
working harder and moving quicker and getting things done, and I'm just like a bullet train that can't be stopped. That's my strength. But sometimes my weakness is that because I'm moving so fast and I'm working so hard, I don't always get to hear everything that's going on around me. I don't get to hear the plurality and the multitude of voices that are trying to say something into my life. And so literally, physically, physiologically over the last month, I've been forced to slow down. And I've had all of these moments where Carissa, my wife, has said something to me or my kids have said something to me at home. And instead of rushing forward, I get to admit and own, which I should have done earlier in life when I couldn't hear people, and just say, could you say that again? I didn't hear you the first time. Could you, could, you, could, you, you know, could you come closer and could you tell me that? And it's forced me to stop and to be present, to recognize the gift of the plurality of voices that are in my life. And so there's this word called polyphonic. And polyphonic is how the Bible was made. The Bible is made up of multiple voices. That the scriptures were put together over 1,500 years by hundreds of different people. Un, uh, it's unlike what a lot of us were given, particularly if you grew up in an evangelical tradition like me, where God simply wrote the Bible in the King James Version on a Microsoft document and then handed it to George Washington along with the Constitution, I think is how I was told that the Bible was made. But that's not how the Bible was made. The Bible is not this seamless, consistent voice from Genesis 1 all the way through the end of Revelation. The Bible is filled with a plurality of voices telling the complexity of the human story. And you should be thankful for that. You should be thankful that it's not this overly simplified, unique voice that just goes from beginning to end and doesn't change because that is not your life. In you right now, there are so many layers and complexities and different voices of what make you, you. Within you, you are polyphonic. You are hearing all kinds of different things. And within our lives, sometimes some voices speak louder than others. And sometimes those voices that speak loud are the voices that are negative or painful or broken. And then sometimes other times in our lives, in the quiet rooms of our heart, are actually good voices and they're just barely whispering. And so what we need to learn is how do we honor the diversity of voices that are going on within us? And part of the reason that we go through this series of how does the Bible work is I hope that you fall in love with the scriptures again. I hope that the Bible in its complexity, in its messiness, in its beauty, in its humanity will re-engage you. That the multifaceted voices of these scriptures will allow you to look deep within yourself and to honor the multifaceted voices that are going on within you. And that within each of us, that as we hear these larger narratives, as we're asking this question of what's your story, that each of us begins with a foundation. There are some words that we were given early on in life, things that we believe about ourselves. And then for many of us, there's an evolution that happens one day where we begin to tell ourselves different narratives and we grow up and we go through adolescence or we go through college or big things take place in our life. And evolution doesn't come because of good, simple, healthy things. Evolution almost only comes through conflict, through pain, through brokenness. It's through the resiliency of life that you've had to evolve and that you learn and you grow and you ask deeper questions about your humanity. That some of you in the foundational places of your life, the things that you were told was, and this is true of my wife. This is true of Brittany Barron. 
This is true of one of my mentors, Rob Bell. These are three people who have been so important in my life, and each of them in such a unique way had this innate understanding of themselves that they were loved, that they were known, that they were cared for. And one of the things that they've had to evolve through is the difficulty of pain and the difficulty of brokenness because their foundational story honestly was so good. And I'm exactly the opposite. My foundational story was that I'm bad, that there's something wrong with me, that I always have to fight to have a voice, that out of emotional and trauma that happened within my family, I was always discovering the goodness that was going on within me. It's such a reason that I evolved into this good news story of Jesus, that the story that I was told when I was a kid was filled with bad news. It's that I was depraved or something was so wrong with me and so wrong with all of humanity that Jesus needed to bleed out on a cross so that God would stop being angry with all of us. Instead of this beautiful story that, no, we've always been good, that God has always made us in God's image from the very beginning, that God is redeeming and reclaiming our goodness, not trying to rescue us from our badness is what the scriptures are trying to teach us. And that the evolution for me through the brokenness away from those voices from the foundation of my life has evolved me into a deeper story that I'm trustworthy, that I'm integrist, that I'm healthy, that I'm whole, that I'm good, that I got this, that this is possible. And it's possible through surrendering, through commitment, through fidelity, through faithfulness, through gentleness, through kindness, that these are the things that have rooted within me. There's a reason that although I love to mock in a little bit of a way, kind of just the the church in general, because you know you kind of just make fun of what you know. I was even talking about it with some of the tech team this morning about different kinds of pastors and voices that are out there. And I am just a glutton for like, if I'm late at night that I wanna watch like televangelists on TV, right? I just wanna hear somebody just go 30 minutes straight on Jesus wept, my brothers and sisters, and said, Jesus, I said, Jesus wept. Exactly, and that thing can go on for 30 minutes. But some of it is really powerful. There's a reason that millions of Americans tune in to Joel Osteen every week. Because so many of us at the foundational levels of our heart were never told the deep truth that you are the greatest bike rider that the world has ever seen. And many of us as a four-year-old needed that. We needed a parent to come into our life and to tell us, And it's not true, but that doesn't matter. It's true to you that you are the best and the greatest and you are wonderful and you're a superhero and there's never been a bike rider like you ever. And because we didn't receive that in those foundational places of our lives, there will always be a need for Joel Osteen's out there to reparent us to tell us about the foundation of our lives, that it's good and that's beautiful. And then in the complexity of this world, it's going to be okay. Just like there will always be a need for the Rob Bells of this world and the Brene Browns of this world and these other people who are inviting us into this process of evolution where eventually we do grow up, whether we were told negative stories about ourselves or good stories about ourselves, and we have to do something with that that we actually have to live now. Maybe you were always told that you were the greatest bike rider that the world has ever seen, and then you got fired from your first job and you had no idea how to handle the complexity of it. That you lost your first love, that somebody close to you died. And now that foundational message in your life has to evolve. It has to grow. 
It has to get deeper. It can no longer be just receiving it and believing it and that magically everything could be changed. It will require resilience and consistency. It will require your surrender in a different way. Or maybe it was all the bad news story that you were told and you've had to do the therapy and the work and you needed the community and you've needed new voices that you need to evolve because nobody should be that depressed. Nobody should believe that about themselves as a human being. It is, it is counterintuitive to the story that God has for each of us. So wherever you are this morning, whatever your foundation is, you're asking this deeper story of your life of what's your story. What was the story that you were told in the deepest parts of your being from as long as you can remember? And what are the voices that have evolved? And are you quietly and slowly taking the time to listen to those new and fresh voices? And why the Bible is so powerful is that the Bible invites us into this journey with the people of God over thousands of years as they ask these deeper questions about humanity, as they ask these deeper questions about who is God? And who are we and where are we going in these things? And so for Israel in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, eventually it's the year 586 BC and the people of Israel are now in Babylon. And in Babylon, they have been exiled out of Israel and Judah. Now, if you have no idea what I'm talking about right now, let me pause that most of the Hebrew Bible is written around this little piece of land we call the promised land, which is modern day Israel. And back in the day, they called it Cana. And in this little strip of land was kind of like the highway for all the major ancient superpowers that the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Egyptians and the Greeks and the Romans, all of these people would travel up and down Israel because of the Mediterranean coast right there. So there was a lot of different ideas and thoughts that would move through the people of God over time. And the people of God, as I talked about last week, they believe that God had rescued them from an oppressor called Pharaoh from Egypt and had promised them a new land and had made covenant with them, which goes well, which is a beautiful foundational story for you to understand about who you are and for you to live into that foundation and say, there's another way to live as a human being in this world, that we can live in blessing, that we can live in favor. And I don't mean that in the gross, like, Ugh kind of way. I mean it in the, who doesn't want goodness? Who doesn't want beauty? Who doesn't want to believe that their future is filled with hope and graciousness and love in Christmases at 85 years old, just surrounded by grandkids? Who doesn't want to believe in that? And so that is the story of Israel that the promises they're receiving onto is their foundation, but over time they evolve. Some of the ways that they evolved is they get kings, and they have prophets, and the kings are doing what kings do. They're making powerful systems that are more about the kings than they are about God, right? Which is another way of saying, how many of us do that? That we leave mom and dad's house at college and we say, well, you know, I'm kind of a big deal now and I can live and do whatever I want and I got this thing. Until you don't and you gotta call your parents because your broke ass needs 30 bucks for your rent. Amen? Because you don't have it all figured out and that's okay. The Bible's just trying to be honest with you of it's messy sometimes and it's complicated. 
or in the foundational aspect of your life. You always had this view of Jesus and of God, and then you went to college and you found other people of other faiths or no faiths, and you just found that there was a bigger world out there, and you were just asking all these questions. And what most people do is they say, well, I guess I was all wrong. I guess maybe God doesn't even exist. And it's like, no, you don't have to go there. Or maybe you just never heard the story for what it really was. Maybe the story is, of course, you have a foundation of something you believe about God, and now it's being challenged. Praise God. Now it's getting difficult. Amen. Now I am hopeless and don't know how to make it through 40 years of wilderness. And you're not alone. There have been millions and billions of other human beings who have gone there before you, is what the scriptures are trying to teach us. And so for Israel, when they're in Babylon, they've gone through 500 years of, they've you know, moved to the promised land and they've had King David and they've had these moments of, of shining and goodness and glory and all the things that they want. And now it's been all of these years of destruction and pain and brokenness and figuring it out and confusion. And how many of us have been there? That in the evolving, in the deconstructing, in the growing up, it's actually been quite difficult. And yet somehow you felt alive that there's a new piece of you that's being rebirthed out of the ashes that's somehow deeper and stronger and fuller and has more to say for your life. And for Israel at this point, their God lived in a temple in Jerusalem. This is the ancient way of thinking. It wasn't this idea that God was everywhere. It said this God lived in a very specific place. And now that temple is destroyed. What would that do to your faith? Metaphorically, have you been there? that you believed all of these things and then you encountered a bigger vision of the world or somebody else came in with a more powerful story and you're not sure what to believe anymore. And this is what the story of Israel has for you. This is why the prophets are so incredibly important. They're asking these bigger questions as we deconstruct, as we doubt, as we wonder, and they're always leading us towards a life of practice. And it's saying, sometimes you gotta take faith out of your head and out of concepts and just out of the foundational things that you've heard over here that you're the best bike rider that ever was or that you're not good enough. And you have to go live and allow it to seep into your bones, into your heart, into your gut, into your very being. And you gotta go live out the kind of human being that you wanna be in the world. That's what Israel was going through. And as they sit at Babylon, they have been removed from their country Their temple has been destroyed. All of the promises that they believed in don't seem to be there. And it's here where the Bible was written. It's here that where most of the scriptures landed on a page in some way. That it's when we felt most distant. It's when we felt confused. It's when we were figuring things out that they experienced God showing up in new ways. And what they had to do is they had to begin to listen deep within themselves for the truest foundational voices that were actually there. It's that God was there the entire time. They didn't need to go on some journey to find God. It's that that God was always speaking this goodness. God was always reminding them about them whose image they were made in. God was always reminding them that it's true about them then it has to be true about the rest of the world. And were they living that way for the rest of the world? Were they living out their goodness and their beauty and their hope in a way that other people could palpably experience it as well? And so there in Babylon, when everything has been taken away, is when Genesis 1 through 3 was actually written. That Genesis 1 through 3 was not some early story about a scientific creation of the world that is literal. 
and that there was literally people in a garden who got fooled by a talking snake. Here's the deal. That might be confusing to some of you. That was not a story in Israel before because they didn't need that story before. Their stories began with Abraham. Their stories began with covenant. Their stories began with chosenness that God was doing something through them. How do I know that, you ask? Well, one, for most of Orthodox Christianity, those are things that we would have known. In later years of Christianity, like evangelicalism, we have missed the boat on a few things to tell a very negative story about God needing to rescue us from how bad we were. Also, what I know is that the Bible itself, all of the Old Testament never mentions again the story of Adam and Eve. Why does it not mention any of the stories from Genesis 1 through 11? Because it doesn't care about them? No, because it wasn't written. That's the difference. They didn't have those stories at that time. They made those stories up later to help them connect with the deeper foundations of what they believed about themselves. That in the ancient world, there was the story of the Enuma Elish. It was the story of the Babylonian gods. And the Enuma Elish is a story about this god Marduk who's incredibly violent. And this violent god Marduk kills these other two gods and out of destroying the both of their bodies creates the oceans and the land. And out of that, human beings are eventually created. And this Babylonian creation story takes place over seven tablets. This sounds familiar. I've heard of another creation story that goes over seven days. And so what happens for Israel is that they're in Babylon, they're in captivity, they're in a distant land, they're in a place of confusion and waiting and figuring it out. And so they begin to tell a story about their God that is different. Their God, foundationally, is not a God who is angry. Their God is not a God who creates human beings to be subservient to the gods. Their God is a God who creates the entire world and calls this world good and good and good and good. Their God is the God who says, do you see humanity? I have made humanity, both male and female, in my image. Can you see that if you were in a place of feeling distant, if you were in a foreign land, if you were in a place of confusion or waiting and figuring it out, that you would need new stories that would highlight and reinforce the truth about who you are, that you indeed are the greatest bike rider this world has ever seen, that you need in this moment something beyond yourself to carry you through, that you need a genesis in some ways that tells you a truth about who you are. And so that's where Israel went. And what they did is they told all of these stories in contrast, in juxtaposition to the stories of Babylon. The stories of Babylon were all about keeping the 1% in power and subjugating the 99% so that the 1% could constantly stay in power. And this story was about that all human beings were made in the image of God. Every single human being was good. Every single human being, right, is cared for. What a vastly different story that we have. And that's the story that Israel gives us in Genesis 1 through 3, but that story is not created till later. Even when we get to Genesis 3, most of us have been told a story about a talking snake and a magical tree, and then what we've been told later is that all of history hinges on that moment where none of us had a choice, and then we've all been fucked since then. Screwed, whatever, I said, you get it. Things haven't gone well. 
But again, if that was the story, then why does Jesus never say, I came to die on a cross because of what Adam and Eve did back there? Never mentioned something like that, not even close. Why does the rest of the Hebrew Bible not mention these stories? They don't for a reason, because that's not the narrative. That's the narrative that we were given later in life. The narrative that we're being given that we need to hold on to is one of covenant, one of goodness, one in whose image we're made of, and that Jesus comes to remind us of that reality and that truth. And so what happens in Genesis 3 is a story that goes like this. Sometimes you fall. Not the fall that screws up the rest of humanity, but sometimes you make mistakes. Sometimes you risk, sometimes you get curious, and sometimes that doesn't work out for you. How helpful is that story for you? It's incredibly helpful. And all of humanity doesn't hang on our hinge upon the mistakes of somebody thousands of years ago. It's saying, of course you're good, of course you're beautiful, of course you're whole, of course God's with you. And guess what? Sometimes as you grow up, you make mistakes and it doesn't all work out and you feel like you're judged for it and you don't know how to make sense of it. And that's the narrative that we hold on to. And so that story is found in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. I'm gonna go ahead and read these for you. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us and they will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky and the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in God's own image. In the image of God, God created them. Male and female, God created them. Genesis 2 says this, then the Lord God, which here is actually the word Yahweh, then Yahweh God formed the man right from the dust of the ground and God breathed the breath of life into this man's nostrils and the man became a living person. And then Genesis three says this, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard Yahweh God walking into the garden. So they hid from Yahweh God among the trees. Then Yahweh God called to the man, where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden. So I hid, I was afraid because I was naked. The need for those three different verses is this. You may have never noticed this before. You may have been very aware of this is there's actually two different creation stories. There's a Genesis 1 story, which is, never mentions the name of Yahweh. The name for God that's mentioned uh, in Genesis 1 is the Hebrew word Elohim. Elohim just means God. And that this God is universal and this universal God creates humanity in God's image. Later on in different parts of Israel's history, when they write a new creation story, and this will be during the monarchy, is when we get the creation story in Genesis 2. And this should make sense to you. In the Genesis 1 story, which is very universal and written when Israel is in captivity in Babylon, they're very gracious to their brokenness and that everybody is made in the good image of God. That's the hopeful story they wanna hold on to, not of a terrorist God like the Babylonian God who just kills and destroys everything and is angry at humanity forever. You can see the differences in the story and why it matters. Earlier in Israel's history, when they wrote Genesis 2, they wrote a story, and again, this is classic kings for you, and it was a story where the man was created first, and then out of the man came the rib, and out of the rib, then that's when the woman came. You know what that's called? Patriarchy. You know what that's called? A bunch of kings. There we go. I think they're clapping against patriarchy, so let's be clear of that. Uh, people aren't all like fans of patriarchy here. Huh? Huh? All about it. Do not put that clip up, that would be really bad. Uh, what we're saying is the Bible has different voices at different times. I was just talking with another pastor earlier this week. She's a Korean woman and she talked about how 10 years ago, she was talking to Brittany Barron and was so sad that Brittany was gonna become a pastor because women just can't lead over men. 
And then 10 years later, she's like, I'm so horrified that I ever thought that. Do you know how many gay people I know used to think that other gay people were going to hell? And now they're like, I'm so horrified that I ever thought that. And this is why the Bible's just being honest with you. The Bible is offering a polyphonic opportunity. <clears throat> I'm choking here for your life. The Bible is trying to say there's multiple voices going on. And sometimes those voices are helpful and sometimes they're not. Sometimes those voices are being true and sometimes they were true at one season of your life, but they're not true always. Thank God for a Bible that allows for mistakes. Thank God for a Bible that allows for evolution. And thank God that where the Bible actually starts is Genesis 1 and not Genesis 2 or 3 that where the Bible starts is this reminder that you've always been good. This is the base note that we begin with and that you can always tell yourself at the foundational points of your life. And that even as you evolve, you'll have to grow into these stories in a bigger way. And so how many of us have been there? How many of us have been in a place where we're distant? How many of us have felt like Israel where we're in some faraway land? where we feel like we're in waiting places, where we figure that we're figuring it out in some way or we feel confused or we've gone through heartbreak or we were fired from our first job. And thank God for those moments that the Bible is honest with us and can say, yeah, I know in this point of your life, you don't believe in yourself. I know at this point in your life, it's hard to trust yourself. I know at this point in your life, maybe it feels like betrayal. I know at this point in your life, you're just wondering, how are you ever gonna get from here? And thank God that you have people around you and that even in your own life, you've experienced resiliency. And how you got from A to B is that you believe the truth about yourself, that you were always good, that you were always trustworthy, that you were always integrated, that you were always whole because you have always been made in the image of this God. Thank goodness for those foundational things that actually had to grow and evolve and they grew and evolved because you were in exile. They grew and evolved because you had nothing else, that those just couldn't be ideas or concepts, that they had to be truths that you grew into. The Dalai Lama tells this beautiful story that before he was picked as the Dalai Lama at three years old, that everything that he learned in life about compassion, he really got from his mother that his mother constantly taught him compassion. His mother constantly cared for him and tended to him and held him. And even tells stories of, I was a naughty boy sometimes, right? Didn't do things, I would scream at my mom, but she was this constant in my life that knew that I was three and that she was a mother who would hold me and embrace me and care for me. And isn't that what we want from God? Is this realization of, yeah, there's stories like Genesis 3, yeah, there's stories where we're, we're, we feel like we've fallen or we've made mistakes or we can't be, get back up. But the rest of sto the stories of scripture is not God hounding on that. It's a God who keeps making covenant with us of saying, I know that you can't handle it all. That's why I'm here. I know that you don't have it figured out. That's why I show up. And that's the story that we're invited into. I'm so aware of this bigger question of what's your story because I think about it all of the time when I think about what's the story of my kids' lives. Every day in my house, at some point, I get to have a conversation with my daughter and my sons and we go through things like this. Who's the kindest girl that I've ever seen? Who's so strong? Who's the bravest girl? Who's loved? Who's cared for? 
I always like throw these in as well, like who's gonna be a Fortune 500 CEO? <laughs> because why not? Seriously, why not? And so I say these things to them and they all say, you know, me, 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 me. And what I believe is that through the foundation of their life, as they see it and believe it from my face and from the compassion, the tender arms of my wife, that they know these truths about themselves. But here's what I'm aware of, that my sons or my daughter, they're gonna get to middle school one day and we all know the freaking hunger games that that place is. And there's gonna be some little boy or some little girl that tells them something that is untrue about them. And they're gonna have a choice in that moment. And I'm gonna have a choice in that moment. Do I punch a 13 year old? And the choice that they're gonna have in that moment is, do I accept the lies that this person is telling about me or in my growing, in my figuring it out, in the uncomfortableness of my eighth grade body, do I still know that I am loved? Do I still know that I am good? Do I still know that I am brave? Do I still know that I am strong? And they're gonna know it more because they're gonna have to live it out in the freaking wild. That's how we grow, that's the story of Israel. And then as you evolve, you look back on those stories and you make them your own. And that's what Israel was doing in these creation stories in Genesis one through three. They said, we already had a foundation and covenant with Abraham and, and, and the Exodus stories and who we believe God to be. And now we need some other stories that even root us deeper in the truths about ourselves, the truth that's always been there. And then over time we see, these are always have been the stories for humanity. And then one day my kids will have kids, right? This is why I so love the song that, that Paul and the rest of the team sang this morning, right? That I do believe in God's blessing, not only for my family and my children and their children and their children, but I believe there's something powerful, powerful about this reality that if foundationally I can speak into them something that was never spoken into me, that I'm gonna have grandchildren and great-grandchildren who are gonna have a bigger view of God. And that's what you want for your life. That out of New Abbey, we are gonna have kids who grow up and they're never going to have to come out. They just get to love who they love. Praise God for that opportunity. <laughs> Praise God that we are creating new stories of our origin that fit into the heart and the reality and the truth of the multifaceted voices the scriptures hold for us. And let me just add a note for you here in this. If you're like, Corey, I've never heard of some of this before, or this feels like we're just picking and choosing. You're right. That's what people have always been doing. You may have never heard of this because you may have never been given good Orthodox Christianity before. You may have just been given evangelical Christianity, which is some pretty watered down theology about God that's very problematic. For the first thousand years of the church, one thousand years, evangelicals have been around 120 years, by the way, thousand years of the church, the belief that we held on to was not about Jesus dying on the cross, it was theosis, which in the ancient world was this idea that we've always been made in the image of God and that through Christ, we turn more and more into the likeness of God. And through the likeness of God is how we heal and transform the world. That was the foundational belief of the church for a thousand years. And it changed when the church split in everybody's favorite schism in 1054, when the church split from the East and the West. And Eastern Orthodoxy held on to that belief of theosis, foundationally of who we are. And it's Western Christianity that got into a lot of different power games that made it a different story because they needed a hell. And do you know what you get to do with a hell when you create it? You get to send your enemies there. What a powerful tool to utilize. 
And so we're reclaiming some of our oldest origin stories that are filled in orthodoxy. We're reclaiming the complexity of the scriptures. We're reclaiming even Jesus in this. There's a reason that Jesus will quote from Exodus and Deuteronomy and the Torah and the prophets, but Jesus never quotes from Joshua or Judges. There are these negative voices, even in the Bible, that Jesus says, those were some 15-year-olds that were figuring some stuff out. They had some beliefs about God and it didn't really work for them. And so Jesus doesn't quote from them. The voices are still left there because you still got to honor the parts of yourself that were growing up, but they don't have to rule you. They don't have to be the primary voice that you live into. And so the primary voice that Jesus lives into is love God, love yourself, love your neighbor, and then see how the world looks. And so Jesus goes and lives out that life in a new and a powerful way. And I'm going to end with this. Man, for the last couple of weeks, I've just been in conversation after conversation after conversation with people at New Abbey who are going through some stuff, who are living in their Babylon, who are in a place of figuring it out in distance or betrayal or hurt or addiction or loss or pain or brokenness. And in that moment, I believe that something that we all need is, I think we need prayer. And I think that we need the stories of the scriptures, that old school is new school in some way. New Abbey is great, and we will always keep advocating for get therapy, be in community, do all of that work. Some of that, we were told such a, an abusive spirituality that you could just like lay the Bible on your face and be healed, and that's not real. But if we also throw out in that, that if, if I just get enough therapy, I'll be healed. No, you won't. You're going to come to a place in your life of surrender where you need something beyond yourself. The story of scriptures always remind us of that. The stories of scripture will always be filled with a God that even when we're in exile, even when we couldn't see it, that God was awaiting for us. The story of scripture will always be the prodigal son, the prodigal daughter, the prodigal child about a God who is waiting to celebrate you waiting to say, it doesn't matter where you thought that you've been. I don't even want to hear that story. I've always loved you. I've always been waiting just to tell you how amazing you are. I've always been ready to tell you that you're the greatest bike rider ever. I've always been waiting to hold you even in your biggest brokenness. That's the story that we hold on to. That's why we're a people of faith. And there are seasons in our life, as I've talked with people this week who are losing their businesses, where hundreds of people's families and jobs and income and food on their table could be lost because of tragic things that have happened. As I've talked with people in the last few weeks whose marriages are falling apart, as I've talked with people in the last few weeks whose relationships seem so uncertain, as I've talked with people in the last few weeks who are going through mental illness and are literally don't know how to make it, right? As I've talked with people through the last few weeks who are in the throes of addiction, as I've talked with people through the last few weeks of betrayal, where everyone comes back to is this place of where Israel was in Babylon. I need something beyond myself. And I hope that you can pray. I hope that you can start with something simple and saying, God, I believe the truths of scripture. I believe the truths of, of what your word says, that there have been people before me who have felt distant and in places that they couldn't figure it out. And you got them through that. And if you can get them through that, God, you could also get me through this. And maybe I just start by saying, God, I'm here. And as you just say, God, I'm here, then New Abbey, would you begin to hear new words within you? New Abbey, would you begin to slow down and hear the good words that are the origin of who we are?
that there is a God who speaks out to you in this very moment and says, you've always been good. You've always been whole. You've always been made in my image. All of these other voices that try to tell you that you're something less and that you haven't figured it out or that your process has somehow been imperfect, know that you're okay. Know that everybody's process is imperfect. Know that everybody is figuring it out. Know that everybody has fallen and made mistakes and they have left a garden. But know this, that I've always been here for you. And it's not that the storm won't rage, it's just this, that as the storm is raging, I will always hold you in the most difficult moments. These are the things that we hold on to. Nobody can offer that, us that besides God. I believe that with all of my being. And so would you hear in a new and fresh way that God is there for you? that God believes in you, that God sees you, and that God will always love you. We're gonna take some time to think about this question with one another and jump back into our groups. What's God telling you about your story right now? Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey Podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.